Start eating pee. No, I just pee. <laughs> and mirror. <laughs> okay, so... Careful, while you are hosting, I still have editing control. Oh, no, this is, this is your show. I'm not really hosting it. It's your show. And I know how you start this show, so you're probably recording already, right? You can't tell? <laughs> no, I'm... Lo- I'm focused on you. Okay. Well, right, so. first, let's say hello to everyone. Can we say hello to everyone? I think we can. Okay. Yes. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Why did your voice change? <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. Welcome to a super special episode of Sidekick Back Radio. Uh, episode 31. It's uh, Wednesday, September 9th. A great day in history. <laughs> a great day in history as my mother was born. Many, many, many years ago. In the 70s. Let's put it there. Oh my god, you're kind. (laughs) I figured you wouldn't want me to say... No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Especially since there's a song about my age and I'm not singing it today. Although it's in my head all day. That kind of gives it away. I know, How many songs are dedicated to a specific age, Mom? Hey, come on, I could do um, 50. No, (laughs) don't do it. Um, So I decided as a unique birthday present for you today that I will switch up the format for this week's episode in that you are guest hosting Mm -hmm. and today's guest is going to be me. Okay. And why do you think I would do that, Mom? Would you like to tell everyone why I might be doing that? Because you're you're a nice Jewish boy and a great guy and sweet to your mom? (laughs) Yes. He really is. Okay. But... (laughs) Um... But the thing is, is when you try to talk to me, sometimes I can be a little standoffish, aloof. a little aloof. Uh, I give short answers. I just want to sit and watch or read whatever I'm watching or reading. Uh, and so I figured a, a nice gift would be an hour or so of my full attention. Anything goes. Okay. I'll edit out something if it doesn't go. Um, yeah, but I'll remember it. I mean, I know my memory's not so great, but I'll remember. Fair enough. Okay. Just know that that'll shorten the episode. <laughs> you still only get one hour of real time. About. Um, but anyway, I wanted to give you an hour of free reign. No, that's very On chatting sweet. with me. And I hope some other gentlemen will follow. This This will inspire other men to spend time with their moms this way. I don't know. You know, it's really funny because I got together with some uh, women from your high school yesterday. And one of the things we all, all of us said, all of us who had sons, was it's a need-to-know basis. So you're not alone. I'm sure you realize that. But it's very sweet of you to want to open yourself up to me and to your listeners as well. And do I have to do the sidekick back radio thing at the end? Uh, Yeah, because I already (laughs) did mine in my first episode. So Uh you need to do it. Okay. To get in the books. All right. It's a good thing I've listened to your show, so I know what to do. Yes, you listen to every episode, and I appreciate that. I do. I do. I am a devoted mom. Yes. So, should we get started? (sighs) First of all, I'm Andrew's mom, but my name is Jill. (laughs) (laughs) And even though he he calls me mom, and you only call me Jill when you're pissed at me, right? You only call me Andrew when you're pissed at me. No, I call you full name. You very and true. your sister. It's very true. Um, yeah. You know, I I've, think we should establish also that you host your own radio show. 
I do. I am a co-host of a uh, an internet radio show called The Empty Nesters, which we started when Andrew was a senior in high school because I was getting apoplectic that uh, he was going to be leaving home. What knew? How did I know he was only going to be about an hour and a half away from home? But <laughs> but anyway, that's when we started. So yes, I do do a radio show, but I usually have a co-host. So this is the first time I'm kind of winging it on my own. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So thank you to those empty nesters who are listening right now. We're tuning in. Appreciate you. I'm sure you have some devoted fans. I mean, I we do. How long have you been on? You we started when you were senior in high school. So it's been uh, a while. And uh, we, I have to say, Eight I, years. I admire you because you have been, you have been incredible in your devotion to doing this particular show and to your career. The other thing that we probably should add is before Andrew was born and his sister, before Andrew and his sister were born, I was an actress. I am a member of the union and I still keep my membership. So I do understand what an actor does, the life of an actor and... It's one of the great things we get to talk about together because we understand each other. Well, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Yes, you were an actress, and after many years of just using your screeners, now I'm an actor too, so I'm in the union now too. We're, we're in the union yeah, together. I know. There are two Fromers in SAG. Actually, no, I'm a Hoffman. <laughs> I, hey, it was years ago. I you used are, my main yes, name. Yes, correct. There's... Only one firmer then. There is only one firmer, unless there is another firmer somewhere in the uh, realm of... Highly doubt it. I do too. <laughs> Which makes it very unique for you. Yeah, it was easy to get my name. <laughs> yeah. All these years later. And I guess the other thing is, it cost me $500 to join the union way back when. You want to talk about that? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um are we, are we on? Are we doing our... I guess yeah. so. I know. Yeah. That's true. I, you uh, you make people feel at ease when you do your show. So... How do you know? You, you, I can listening? tell. Of course. Oh, thanks. Hey, excuse me. I, I am experienced at this. There are some interviews that go incredibly well, and then there are other interviews that are all... You know, I just can't wait till they're done. Mine? No, no, no. Just <laughs> some of the ones I've done. Believe me. Uh, I wanted to, actually, I do want to start, I do want to ask you some questions, because okay. I want to know how... Well, you know. let's get, I mean, let's officially start then. You, okay, do you, you really want to officially start? You, you, I, we kind of already have, I mean, you, <laughs> you have the floor. This is going to be hard for me, too, because I'm used to running the conversation, so I need to... It's so exciting to me that you run a conversation, <laughs> because when you sit around the dinner table... <laughs> Okay, I'm going to start asking you questions then, because there are things I really want to know. Fire away. Uh, what, what was the uh, commercial that used to be from the National Enquirer? People want to know. Anyway, do you remember, do you remember your first um, uh, theatrical performance? The Wizard of Oz? Yes. Was that your first? I mean, there was the fourth grade play. I barely remember that, and I was at but... everything. Do you have a picture of it? We, me and Melissa Shemulian. Oh God! Oh my God! Yeah. It's like a trip to Israel or something. Oh I mean, okay. But uh, I don't that count was, that. No, I don't either. It was. I, I count that more as like a school performance, like when you sing it, you know, kindergarten consecration or whatever. Okay, when you you did that, and then the next year you did Fiddler on so, the Roof. So fifth grade, I did Wizard of Oz as the Cowardly Lion. Sixth grade, Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Okay. Did you? get the acting bug then or was it just you know ah this was fun i like it 
That's honestly, I think it's a little too far back for me to mm-hmm. to say what I was thinking in the moment. But I mean, I was always performing for my friends in oh really in conversations. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah, I'd always of course. be doing imitations. I mean, you you were I at the playdates. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was always doing the imitations and stuff, and I was always really into it, and, you know, Robin Williams and uh, all of his movies, Adam Sandler and all of his movies were obviously very affecting mm-hmm. on me at the time as a kid, like, because, mm-hmm. you know, laughter is, ma- being able to make your friends laugh is, an, is a cool thing. Trust me, I, we are more similar than you <laughs> care to admit, my son. Okay. <laughs> Um, so because I was making my friends laugh and that was really fun for me when it came time, cause you know, it, it just seemed, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I can only make an educated guess that when it came time to audition for the musical, which you couldn't do until you were in fifth grade, um, cause it was fifth and sixth grade only. Um, when it came time to audition, it was just like, it just made sense to mm-hmm. just be like, I love making people laugh. So you should do this. And, and you did. I mean, you, you, I you really did. I mean. Look, I'm his mother, so of course I remember it. But yes, he really made people laugh. And then, then you go to high school, yeah. Which is, you know, it was things change when kids go to high school. You realize that. A well, lot you, of things yeah, change, yeah, a lot of things change. You know, yes. What are you referring to, though? Well, you know, you were where it's at one point you kind of connected, really connected to your parents. You really start breaking away and becoming your own, your own person at the time. And it's not like me telling you, well, I want you to go on this play date or I want you to do this. You start making decisions for yourself. Okay. So you get into middle school and they have a drama department and mm-hmm. they give you, I remember they give you art choices and you chose. Uh, the, okay, well, middle, so Windward was broken up into seventh and eighth grade is middle school, ninth through twelfth is high school. Seventh and eighth and the, and, and. That's important because the structure of the schedule is different. Mm-hmm. So in middle school, you don't have after school. If you remember, you don't have after school rehearsals. Right. So they need to structure everything differently. Right. So your arts course for second semester, which was weird that in middle school they did semesters and yeah. trimesters in high school. Second semester was the, uh, I don't remember the specific name, but it was a musical. I know. No, it was a musical. It was almost like Fiddler on the Roof. It was like an extension of Fiddler on the Roof. Well, Which was funny. Seventh grade, what was it? I don't remember. No, oh, I don't remember Eighth either. Eighth grade was an, Animal Farm. Animal Farm. Seventh grade was this, oh I don't God, know what it was. I don't even remember. That's okay with seventh grade. You, no, you're not supposed I to remember. No, it was with Rob, though. I'm pretty sure. Oh, my God, yeah. It was they were on the boat coming over to... Thank you. That's what it was. What? Oh, it was the boat. It was the journey, yeah, and the, I played the yeah. brother. Yeah. Wow, I forgot about that. Oh, see? What's it called, though? <laughs> I, it was, you know what, it, the reason you don't remember it is because it was not a very <laughs> well-known thing. Okay. It was some kind of shtick. So whatever. in seventh grade, that second semester musical was something revolving around, um, it was an immigration tale, and I played like, a, I was a brother in a set of siblings whose father went to America and mother died, and we tried to get ourselves to America on a boat, and most of the musical took place on a boat. Yes. And it, the songs were so weird. Yes, and that's why we don't remember the title. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember the title. Maybe one of my Windward friends listening will, e- will email me and let me know. But, uh, yeah, and if you're wondering what first semester was, first semester was just visual art. 
So, yeah, it was just visual art. Do you remember me? I would bring home like really crappy, awful yes. visual not, art. Yes, not your, not your strong suit. I'm I not say. a visual artist. No. no. So, the way that it was structured in middle school was in semesters, and you would do like a combo plate. You'd be like, first semester, I want to do this, second semester, I want to do that. In high school, uh, it was a little different. So, what was your original question? I forgot why I got into that. Uh, I guess what made you choose performing arts? I mean, right. wh why, so, why that? So because I did, so because I did Wizard of Oz and because I did Fiddler on the Roof, it made sense to do the musical, just keep that thing going. Mm -hmm. But in terms of study, in terms of taking a class, um, I didn't take a theater class at all in high school. Mm -hmm. Eventually my kind of emphasis class-wise uh, was the choir. Right. So when I did... When I got into high school, I did the upper school chorus, and then when I auditioned and got into magicals, I did magicals, right. which was like honor choir. So, yeah. <laughs> what, was it... Okay, I, I want to ask the Edmure question in a minute, but the other thing... You, you and your sister followed a very similar path at the same school. Now, granted, you're six years apart, uh -huh. but everybody who was in the performing arts department knew your sister. Was it ever hard for you to kind of be your own person, or...? You're so confident you were able to do that. Um, no, I, I did it myself. I mean, the thing is, is it wasn't, first of all, in high school, no ninth graders got into the musical, if you remember. I do. Um, so that was like a year's gap, if you will. Mm -hmm. And by then, so there was that year gap, which meant that by the fourth year that I was there was my first upper school musical. Right. So by then, no offense, Jacqueline, but she was, like, not as prominent. I was, mm -hmm. like, by the time I was at my fourth year in Windward, people were... People being, knew you. People weren't saying Jacqueline's brother. They were saying Andrew. Right, so, right, right, right. Okay. I always wondered about that. But uh, so moving, we're moving up in high school. So when, when you were in 10th grade, you had this incredible experience, and you were in a... Uh, one of the, one of the my favorite plays that you were in, you're in town. Yes. And you performed it in Edinburgh. Yes, we at did. At the Fringe. Yes. So after we did the run at the school, then we heard that it was decided that we were taking it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I believe because it was our performing, our theater director's final year. And as a kind of goodwill gesture uh, from the school, they arranged for it to happen. And like they kind of gave their blessing and were like, Okay, Rob, and Rob Duvall, if you're listening, thank you for all that you've done in my life. Um, uh, thank you, Rob, for all your you know service to Windward, and you may take this musical to the Fringe. So we did a couple warm-up performances, because we had, for people who don't know about the Fringe Festival, it's the largest theater festival in the world, in Edinburgh, Scotland, and the way it's structured you kind of have to like make your show streamlined because spaces are all shared. So it's not like you can bring your entire set and do a two and a half hour show with an intermission. I mean, you can, but that costs a lot more money. So what everybody does, because it's more cost effective, um, is you just streamline the show, you make it like a an hour and a half version, like a light version, and your set is super spare. Like I think our set was just like mm -hmm. two block pieces that made a desk and a wall and, and a backdrop or something. Um, because the you the second one show is over, then you move your show in, and then you perform your show, and then you got to get out of there. Um, 
And so, so we did a few warm up performances at the Morgan Wixon Theater with, I think we did it with tape on the floor, so as to not because we needed to mm-hmm. be sure we hit all our marks based on the stage in Edinburgh. And so we did a few warm up performances in at the Morgan Wixon, and then we went to Edinburgh and performed, I believe, eight shows in eight days, which was that's a new experience because most high schools you only do the weekends, but doing a show every day. And seeing shows during the day when you're not performing. And, um, I mean, we got, I'm pretty sure we got five star reviews. You you, you got incredible reviews. Like, it was incredible to be just a high school group, sort of, you know, just a high school group. I say that with quotes. Like, you know, we were high school kids. And and Windward, I wouldn't say, is a performing arts school, like in in like Hamilton, which is focused on performing arts. We did have a strong performing arts program. Unfortunately, now that's not the case. Um, but we competed, like we were in terms of quality, we were very competitive while we were there. And that was an amazing experience to go to an international audience who didn't know us. It wasn't just our parents. It wasn't just our friends. But a lot of us were there. (laughs) A lot of (laughs) you came along and then you dragged me to London, which. (laughs) I know, I know. We won't talk about that part. (laughs) Um, but that was an amazing experience to like perform for audiences that didn't know us and get five star reviews. What was the best part of it? What was the most... Okay, now that it's it was a number of years ago, what was the most memorable part of that experience? It it was the it's happened to me since, but that was the first time where being recognized for something by complete strangers for work that you've done. So it was the first time that a stranger ever came up to me and said, "You like you're in town." Ah, like cuz they couldn't speak. English. I remember there was a Korean movement group that performed right before us. So mm-hmm. we were all backstage kind of they were getting undressed while we were getting dressed. And one of them just like taps me on the shoulder and he couldn't speak English, but he just goes, you, and he gives me a thumbs up because he, he was like trying his best to like imitate my performance and then like give me a thumbs up. And I was, I, that was, that was weird. And like being in the street and people would see like, if I was wearing a Urinetown shirt, they'd be like, oh, you guys were great. It was like the first time where you know, being recognized by complete strangers for work that you've done. People who didn't that have was... to tell you. Right, people who didn't have to. They could have very easily walked by and said, oh, the show was shit. And no, like, they would have ignored you. Not to me. Like, they would have, they like, have, they would have breath, ignored like, oh. you. Yeah. But no, that was, I think, the most amazing part was because mm. it's one thing to get gratification from family and friends in school, but it's another thing to get it from strangers. I know. It's one thing when your mother says you're fabulous. Uh, you're fabulous. Yes. You're fabulous. It's another thing when someone who, I, I mean, I, I, I know. Um, and sometimes friends can be cruel as well. Believe me, I've had that experience also. Mm-hmm. So you, you went through high school. Was Edinburgh the highlight of your high school experience in theater or in, in theater? theater? Yeah. I'd say so. I mean, I got to be Joe in Damn Yankees, which was like, great you know a musical about baseball and i got to you know be a baseball star and um and that was senior year so that was also you know momentous if mm-hmm. you will um i mean nothing can compare to edinburgh though so i don't know if that is counts as high school experience no it, it happened in that time okay one of one of the things that that i always wondered about with you um for those of you who don't know andrew is an athlete and he sings and he acts <laughs> We always called him a renaissance man. So how you were very lucky in that you went to a school that allowed you to both be the goalie on the lacrosse team, 
and to do theater. Mm-hmm. Would you ever, if you had had to make a choice, what would you have done? Well, I did have to make a choice. You forget I played soccer. Or oh, you yes. don't forget, but I, I you yes. failed to mention that I also played soccer and that I had to give up. And I actually somewhat regret that because mm-hmm. soccer is like my favorite sport now. As mm-hmm. much as I love lacrosse, I don't think anything compares to the, the global sting that is soccer. Right. And, you know, I was... I thought I was pretty good at soccer, you, and had I pursued it more, who knows what it would have happened. From your mom. Yes, you were very good. But I have the pictures around the house to prove it. <laughs> right, because a picture of me kicking a ball makes me great at soccer. No, like, I, I could have easily gone that way and could have easily pursued soccer and, and done the club thing, but it conflicted with the musical too much, or the play. It conflicted with the play mm-hmm. um, too much, the fall play. So I chose that, and that was a choice I had to make, so I kind of regret that. Um, lacro- between lacrosse and the musical, I mean, that's a tough call. I mean, I loved playing goalie. I, mm-hmm. love, I mean, I love it all. It, it's... As his mother, I didn't love watching it. I will admit that. <laughs> as painful as being a goalie in lacrosse is, mm-hmm. I learned, I think I learned more from playing lacrosse than I even did in school no sorry to say but like more could you elaborate things. like what well for instance being a goalie in lacrosse you have like a hard rubber ball being thrown at you at like 80 90 miles per hour yes i know <laughs> and as a goalie you have to step towards it because that makes you bigger in mm-hmm. the goal you take up more of the goal if you step to the ball so that be just just working with my coach mike and Dirk and Kevin, I got to cr- give credit to all of them and Sam. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> there were a lot of coaches. Um, learning that one specific thing about when the ball's coming at me and I have to step towards it, like most people will jump backwards, but having to step towards it. I mean, mom, you can attest that I think that, you know, when I am, when I get a challenge in life, I meet it head on. Mm-hmm. And because I spent years learning the art of stepping towards a dangerous object that jiggered something in my mind that allows me to accept challenges easier. And I think that that's something I couldn't learn in the classroom. Don't you agree? Uh, yes. Well, that's why uh, we emphasize the sports. I mean, why do you think we emphasize sports? It's not just because we want you to have to do something. What do you mean we emphasize sports? I feel like sports right now is like kind of under a lot of scrutiny. Well, I can't say right now because because I don't have kids right now. I feel like there's a wave right now of a lot of people who think that sports are all about just being jockey and brotherhoody. Like, like I think, honestly, I think it was Glee. Once Glee came out, oh, uh-huh. it empowered a lot of people who didn't play sports. And I'm, I didn't watch the whole thing. I'm sure there were episodes, like I remember Kurt play, joining the football team. Um, at one point, he was the kicker. Yes. And they did a dance number or something. Yes. But I know that that idea was wrestled around with, that, like, you know, sports equals jocks equals bad. That idea was at least presented. Well, yes, they did. They it, well, Yeah, but there was, I wouldn't even go, don't go to Glee, because they also had a teacher <laughs> who was a, you know, sadistic bitch, pardon my expression, you know, so it, that yes. wouldn't go by that. But I know that, I, I know that there's this wave of, like, oh, you played sports? Ew. Uh, well, that's not how I look at it. I look at it as sports is an education because of what you said. Mm-hmm. 
and it does teach you to look at things. It's I will just, say that that is missing, I feel like, in a lot of people's sports programs and a lot of school sports programs. They just focus on winning as opposed to... That, that's a whole other discussion. We that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that has to do with what's happening and what who's, who's in schools now and the parents of kids who are in school, school now. Um, but that is a whole other conversation yeah. that we can deal with. So let's deal with you and yes. what is and what happened and that the fact that you were... And I think it, it benefited you that you were what we call a renaissance man. You were capable. Hey, come on. You got a five in your physics AP exam, for God's sake. You were, you did so many different things. And you could have chosen many different paths. And yet you've chosen the one that you're doing, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, one of the questions that you ask of your guests is what was in your... CD player. CD, you had a CD player, not, yeah. a, not a Walkman. Yes. And not an iPad. Well, pod. if you've listened to my episodes closely, I know I've mentioned it because mm-hmm. someone threw the question back at me. I can't remember who. Okay. But the one CD that sticks out in my mind is the the Atari's um, "So Long Astoria." If you remember the song "Boys of Summer," mm-hmm. Don Henley's. Song oh yeah, of they, course. They covered it, and that mm-hmm. was big on the radio. So that album, I remember at Camp Nosea, that album was just in my CD player for a month, mm-hmm. a full month, just driving around California um, in a bus listening to that. You love No Say. Why don't you tell a little bit about what No Say was? Yeah. Um, no Say was this very special camp. You know, there are sleepaway camps, there are day camps. No Say was kind of this hybrid where in a month session, you would start it with a four-day camping trip. Then for two weeks, you would just do like day trips, like, um, you know, to amusement parks or rock climbing or the beach, or there was a day dedicated to, uh, you know, um, tikkun olam, which is um, fixing the world, you know, uh, doing... Fixing the world. No, repairing no, no, the world. What's that called? <laughs> doing a... Ch- uh, uh, community service. Community service. Sorry, that was the word. Um, so there was a day dedicated to community service, and then you'd finish with a five-day camping trip. And when I say camping trip, we went to places like Yosemite. Um, I didn't go to the Grand Canyon, but that was this one of the, the session that I didn't go to. Right. Uh, Big Sur, uh, Crestline down in San Diego, like really beautiful places, Lake Arrowhead. And you like camping. You sure you're my son? Well, <laughs> yes, I love camping, and that's because of Nosea. It was best times of my life with those kids, mm-hmm. the, with those guys and, and girls. And, and, and you know, um, I, I know a lot of sleepaway camps, they, they have cabins, but there was something about building a tent, sleeping in it, and then breaking it down at the end of the trip. And I really liked that, and cooking our food over an open fire. Which we did. Uh, no, we used Coleman Grills, actually. Mm, I think cheating, we, huh? I think we'd do burgers the first night on the open fire. Mm-hmm. Because we had that down. But then we would do pastas and stuff, and that's easier to do on a Coleman Grill. But, yeah, uh, those were some of the best times of my life. Especially that Yosemite camping trip. Wow. I'll never forget it. Wow, and then it's too bad it doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Is there any teacher from high school... Not to berate anybody, but is there anybody from high school who really sticks out in your memory, who really had an influence on who you are today and where you're going? It's definitely Mike Delabar. Mike Mike Delabar? Yeah. Wow. Why? I did not expect that one. I mean, I told you, like, I learned more on the lacrosse field than I felt like I learned in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to say I didn't have great teachers. Like, if I had to pick a teacher, I'd probably say Damon Van Leeuwen. Okay. Um, 
he was just so or Dirk Binkley I mean those guys are just you know the epitome of like cool teacher who's funny and yet educational and it's amazing because Damon did have your sister as well (laughs) so yeah and she liked him too the thing is is I had Dirk in seventh grade and I wasn't and I had Damon in 10th grade so I like because that that that's a huge difference in age. We're like, <laughs> I was, was so much older and wiser. One was history. Oh please, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One was history and one was English. Now you two favorite subjects I too. Know. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, mom. I didn't really enjoy class that much. I feel like uh, I can say it now. I don't know too well, many. Well, look at my major. Know. My major ended up being theater, which is like not. You're talking about in college. In college, yes. Yes. So. Okay, you graduate from Winward, which is well. A, can I back what, up yeah, and just? Yeah, go ahead. Mike Delabar was my favorite because I learned so much from him. Um, in terms of teamwork, and he always held me. The thing that I loved about Mike, and and I still love about him, you know, having worked with him, I coached with him for the last two years. Which I think is an amazing thing that not only was he so such an influence on you while you were in high school, but you have really continued a friendship. And a working relationship. Well, yeah. a working relationship. Yeah. Um, but no, he just, he always held us responsible. You know? Like, mm-hmm. he he was, he was the, he wasn't too mean, but he wasn't too nice. He, you know, he made it fun. And when we messed up, he would hold us accountable. Just like, not in a way that made you feel down. It was just like, he would, he had this way of making you, he put you in a position where you couldn't do anything but say, I'm responsible for my own shortcomings and I am the one that can fix it. Mm-hmm. And, like, all the quotes that I have from him, like, it's not the bow, it's the Indian. Like, there's these quotes that, like, just <laughs> that just stick out in my mind. Um, but so, but that one is the most important one to me. It's not the bow, it's the Indian. For those mm-hmm. of you who don't know, lacrosse is originally a Native American sport. And any time you would, you know, you would do something, a lot, a lot of players like to blame their sticks. And Mike would just say, it's not the bow, it's the Indian, mm-hmm. you know? And that would, that's just right there. He would put responsibility on you and you would be like, it is my stick because you have to take responsibility for your lacrosse stick because you're in control of how it's strung. You're in control of how, uh, if you maintain it or not and keep it healthy. So it's, it's on you, you know? So I'd like to think that I'm a very responsible person and I learned that from Mike. Well, I hope you learned it from a couple of other people, too, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, wow. That's a, did, did did other people on the team share your um, your uh, faith in, in, in Mike, or were you kind of unique? Uh, I'm sure some people did. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, don't, I can't speak for my teammates. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that when I started freshman year, when I started on that high school team, you know, middle school is one thing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But when you know enter the world of high school sports, it's a completely different ball game. Um, and just each progressive year, I felt like more and more, it, it just got less and less serious and less and less like we took it less seriously as a team as a whole, and that's why the program no longer exists. Right. I was gonna say that's reflected in the attitude of the school towards the sport. Yeah, and I don't know who's to blame for the source of that issue, but freshman year, I'd say a hundred percent we were all behind our coaches, including Mike. I'm pretty sure he, he was there freshman year. No, he must have, because he's the one who taught me how to be a goalie. Okay. So and I started goalie in eighth grade and I didn't know what I was really doing, and then he really taught me in ninth grade. But um, anyway, so anyway so each year ninth grade was like the best year. It was also our best season, I believe. 
you know, we really competed well, and then each progressive year just got less and less yeah. serious, and the team got smaller. We lost really good guys that I looked up to, and right uh, as and is yeah, right. So, wow. Well, it's interesting to hear how lacrosse was so important to you in high school, mm-hmm. and your music. And um, anyway, can we move on to college because you, if you'd like, wound up going to UCSB. Yeah, mm, not too happy about that. At the beginning, were you? It was, it was number seven on my list of seven. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to go to Tufts University. Um, that's where my favorite band went to, Guster. Oh, really? All they all, they all went to Tufts, and I wanted to study music. Uh, so that was the main reason why I was into it, and they had a D three, a pretty decent D three lacrosse program. So I thought, you know, that. That's, you know, it just, like, was cool. And um, East Coast, I thought I wanted to go to an East Coast small private school. <laughs> and I went completely opposite. <laughs> totally. But, no, I didn't get into Tufts. Didn't get into Northwestern. Didn't get into Berkeley. Didn't get into UCLA. I got into Davis, University of Denver, and UCSB. Davis, I didn't want to go because I didn't want to follow Jacqueline. Sorry, Jacqueline, but I just <laughs> I followed you to high school, but I didn't want to follow you to college. So that crossed off my list pretty quick. And then I thought I was going to go to Denver. They have a D1 lacrosse program. They just won the national championship last year, so that's obviously I was like onto something there. At the time they were D1 but not doing very well, so I was like maybe if I like work really hard I could get on that team and lead them to a championship. Um and I met with the coach there and uh, I, I was like really into the idea of, of going there and I got a scholarship for music. No, I got a scholarship. I wanted to go to music and they have a really great music program. Incredible. But then we visited. So we visited twice, visited before I applied and that got me onto, onto the school and it was empty and it was in the summer and it was beautiful. And then <laughs> we go in the spring, uh, cause we watched a lacrosse game. So right. it had to be in the early spring the weather was not good. Right. Uh, some of the students in the stands were just complete a-holes, which, <laughs> looking back on it, <laughs> there are it's a-holes like, everywhere. It's, it's college. <laughs> it's college. But that set us, it was just not a good trip. And also meeting with the coach was like, not as good of an experience as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. He's not there anymore, so that tells oh, us Oh, he's something. not? Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, that second trip just turned me off of it, so that left me with Santa Barbara, and we went there for family camp. So we were so it felt familiar. Pretty familiar with the uh, with the campus. Yes, um, we had gone there to family camp many years, and so I felt comfortable there. I think that was the main thing, the main reason mm-hmm. why I was drawn to it was because I just felt comfortable because I was so used to being there from from our days of family camp. Mm-hmm. So I picked that, and it was a very tough first year. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was tough, and I knew it was tough, and I knew that there was nothing I could do to help. This was something you had to do. Yeah. You had to figure it out. And then then you joined Naked Voices, which was one of the premier a cappella groups on campus. And remember they came here mm-hmm. because they were performing in L.A. and they slept all around the house. We were just performing. We were competing in ICCAs, which uh-huh. some of you might be familiar with from the film Pitch Perfect. Um, that is an actual existing competition, um, ICCAs. And I was in a Naked Voices my first year of college and we competed and we placed third on the West Coast which is a pretty big deal. It was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, But then 
you had to leave Naked Voices. You want to, so why? first year at Santa Barbara was very tough for many reasons. One of which was I was trying to be a music composition major. And for some reason, that was just not working. As much as I love music, studying it, making it my thing that I was all about was just not fitting. Didn't help that I was having to get up every day at 8 a.m. for class. For whatever reason, those classes were at 8 a.m. Um, That's the way it goes freshman year, sweetie. <laughs> true. But it was just not working. I just wasn't feeling like I was getting fulfilled in terms of what I wanted or what I thought it would be. Like my expectations were just different from what was the actual experience. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And then... Uh, I think I just saw an audition notice through email for a play, mm -hmm. which I did, and that was Monkey See, Monkey Do, or The Joyous Farce oh of Master Oh, my God. Which is a medieval farce play that was translated by a professor at UCSB named Jody Enders, mm -hmm. and I was the first to perform this part of professor mm -hmm. in Monkey See, Monkey Do. And I remember that. It was directed by a graduate student named Andrew Hinkies. Andrew, you're probably not listening, but thank you anyway. Because doing that play reminded me how much I loved acting. I did no acting up until that point. Uh, I auditioned for the improv group on campus but didn't get in. Um, and you had done improv in And I had done school. improv all four years of high school. Did I not get in or did I not audition? I might have, like, went... I think I went to the audition and I, I, filled, out, I filled out the sheet and then I was just like, I'm not... I think there was a question, like, what's your favorite Simpsons character? And then I was like, I don't watch Simpsons and I freaked out. And I walked away. <laughs> Even though My you bad. went to high school with his, My bad. his son, no, the no hard feelings. Son. No hard feelings in probability. <laughs> no hard feelings. I walked away. I, I take full responsibility. See? Thank you, Mike. Um, and mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> so doing this play, the other actors were like, you should audition for the BFA. And I said, what's that? And I had no idea about this BFA program in the theater department. Little did I know that UCSB has an excellent theater program. I auditioned, I got in, and I never looked back. I started taking all the core theater classes that you needed to take, and I was just like, this is it. Fascinating. Um, uh, you, you, you were devoted to it. You know, Obviously, because your school was so close, we were able to see so many of your performances, which was really a gift to, mm -hmm. to me, especially, and, <laughs> and your dad, but especially to me. Yeah. Um, of all, you had some wonderful teachers and professors. What? It's a two-part question. Number one, what was your favorite production? I know what my favorite production was that you did. And who was your most influential professor at Santa Barbara? And that may be a tough one. It's a very tough one. My favorite production was Cloud Nine, because um, that was just a very special thing that we created. And just that production. Just and that you got to see Andrew in a skirt. Yes, you have to see me in a pink dress. <laughs> Um, I, pl I mean, I played a four-year-old girl and an African slave mm -hmm. and the, like, don't be, be, before you guys throw up your arms and like, that's racist. It, the play is written that way for a reason. Um, I played an African slave named Joshua. It's spo supposed to be played by a white man. Um, and the four-year-old girl, Kathy is supposed to be played by the same per actor, the, Carol Churchill, who wrote the play, intended for these weird mm -hmm. collisions of imagery. Um, and so that was my favorite production. That was very, very special. However, my favorite character that I played was Willie in Biederman's Match. 
Um, he's a Pakistani terrorist, and I will, I you know, you getting to play the bad guy, I don't get to do that that often. Mm-hmm. But also just the the way that was written, and it was written by Bo Willimon, who you might know from House of Cards. Um, did he come see the show? He did. He saw opening night. He hugged me. He was, it, he was very tired because um, he was in the Oscar run for uh, Ides of Ides of March. Ides of March. Um, so he he was very tired, clearly, but he made it. Thank you, Bo, for... He's not listening to this, but thank you, Bo. You for, never know. <laughs> thank you, Bo, for coming to see it. Um, as weird as that play was, it was such a special character and an opportunity, and, and to I had control of the audience most during that production. Um, so, and I got to grow out my beard. I wore a turban. Like, that was fun. One of the most amazing things about that was you grew your beard, and at that point you traveled to and from Israel, looking like that. It no, was... no, I'd not look, not full beard. Okay, not full beard. Oh. My birthright trip was right after uh, Risa said, "You can you grow your beard?" Okay. So I had like just a decent amount okay. of scruff. All right. Relax. Okay. Um. <laughs> so yes, now my favorite teacher. I know that's a tough one, because I can think of two. That. Uh, what do you mean? You're answering it for me? No, I I can think of if I can think of two, and I wasn't there um, as much as I would have loved to have been. I mean, they all offered something so different, which is the whole purpose of the way that they run that program, which is great. So, I and they each gave me something different, mm-hmm. and I also did productions with 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 each of them. While you were in college, as you were doing theater and being very committed and and you know, really doing your thing, you also changed your life in another way. Mm-hmm. And you went on a birthright trip. Yeah. Why don't you explain what birthright is <laughs> and how that kind of changed your life? I'd imagine like 90% of the audience knows what birthright is. Okay. Um, well, birthright is it's an organization that offers free trips to Jewish youth between the ages of 18 and 26. Um, you get a free trip to Israel. And it's a free structured trip um in that it's every day is scheduled and you can extend your trip and kind of spend time there on your own so it as far as in a nutshell it's a free trip to israel that every jewish youth should take advantage of while they can okay and and you didn't want to go did you i didn't uh not at first when people would be like you have to go i'd be like i mean i wasn't really into I wouldn't say traveling on my own. I don't know. I've never, I'd, I had never traveled on my own really until Birthright. I mean, all my trips have been with you guys, with the family. Oh, no, say it. I don't know why. For some reason, I just like wasn't into the idea of of going. Maybe because I was, a part of me was like, what's the catch? Free trip? Yeah, really. Come on. Like, wh- the you cynic got- rose, <laughs> rose his head. Uh, it, you probably just sit in the hotel all day and listen to lectures, mm-hmm. which is half true mm-hmm. like you do sit and you do have to listen to some lectures but it's not the whole trip mm-hmm. um at all but anyway meredith richmond my dear old friend since birth blood and all as she says um <laughs> she convinced me to go with her on her trip and thanks meredith because that changed my life and in what way did it change your life on that trip i met uh girl yael a soldier so birthright what they do is they bring israeli soldiers onto your trip 
so as to kind of show you what people your age are doing in that country because it's completely different. They are running the country. After high school, an Israeli 18-year-old will join the army and get some pretty interesting positions, you know, after boot camp and everything, but once they're placed... So Yael, she was a foreign affairs liaison. She would be she would be linking the Israeli army with, like, the Egyptian army and the Jordanian army. Like, anytime there were border issues, cross-border issues, like, she'd be linking these generals together. Like, that's a big responsibility. Like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine as an 18-year-old being like... Uh, yeah, right. Generals. Exactly. General A, you now talk to General B. You're on. Like, whoa. Uh, so it, that was a very interesting experience. And, like, obviously the concerns of an 18-year-old Israeli are very different from a cons- from the concerns of an 18-year-old American. You know, especially once they're – I wouldn't say 18-year-old, like maybe 19 or 20 once they're mm. in the Army for a little bit. Once they're into their service, like, their concerns are – Oh no, there was an attack. Are we going to have to go to war? Am I going to have to like go to this border? Like our concerns are what class do I pick? Mm-hmm. I don't know what class to pick for my schedule. Mm-hmm. So it was just very different. Very eye-opening. So anyway, we had eight soldiers on our trip. One of them was Yael, found her to be very beautiful and I really liked her, so I uh put the moves on. <laughs> And uh, we really liked each other, and one thing led to another, and I started going there every break. Yep. And engaged in a relationship that lasted for, you know. A while. Well, like two or three years. And you lived in Tel Aviv. Uh, Yes. So after I graduated college, um, I moved to Tel Aviv. How did you We moved in together. Yes, you did. Um, yes, I am a very liberal mom. Uh, <laughs> how um, how did you like living in Tel Aviv? Uh, I miss it, first of all. It was a very interesting experience living in another country because the culture is different. I mean, I know that's a given, but like, it's just the struggles of every day are different. You know, it's... Uh, People there behave differently. They, everything is an argument. It feels like, uh, um, but also, it was just very like, I was raised in, I'd say, a bubble. Thank no, like, thank you for. But but I, I didn't have to deal with a lot of things growing up, like paying taxes. Uh. Like, like when I, I know got, when mean. I got my job in Israel, they were like, "Okay, you need to go to the tax authority and set up this account." And I was like, Ugh. "So doing all of these things in a different country with, you know, a totally different setup, different language, working off of a work permit, not citizenship, um, you know, it was just like, it was like grown up time, like plus like plus, that. yeah, it was just strange. It was just." Dealing with these things and, and like, it was the first time that I was working full time. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't going to class. I was going to work. Um, and I was, li- you know, living in the city. I was riding the bus. I'd never rode, ridden the bus lived growing up in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. So it was, it was a very different life for you. Yeah. Aside from the fact that you were living with with, with And I was someone. living with, like, a girl. 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and and all the compromises and and work that 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 and so in other words, yeah. you were working full time for the first time in your life. You were doing well, yeah. all these and different like, things and yeah, and you were living with someone else. And, yeah, and, and then like for instance, there was a day where our uh, plumbing wasn't working, and I was like trying to fix it, and then like I pulled this thing off, and it just exploded. Like water just started blasting into our apartment, and I didn't, and like I had to like we had to figure it out, and I was like having to talk to our landlady in Hebrew. Like mm-hmm. it was just. Weird. I don't know. A lot of challenges. Yes. But thanks to Mike, I now deal with challenges head on, as as I said. Um, But also it was a very beautiful life. Like Shabbat, the country shuts down on Friday nights and Saturday mornings, and you're forced to not not work. Like here, you can work every day if you want to. But literally, there's this like thrust in the country to, you're not allowed to work. It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you're frowned upon. You right. have to go outside. You have to go on a, like a trip and go hiking, or you you like have to. You just have to take Shabbat. You have to rest. Also, mm-hmm. there's this feeling in the air when it's Friday night and everybody's going home to their families and cooking dinners and restaurants are shutting down and closing because everybody's cooking at home. And buying a challah. I mean, obviously we've been to Israel several times. Yeah. Visit you and visit your sister. Yes. So. Um. So. Yeah, and the sunsets on the Mediterranean. I mean, we were we were uh, we were uh, like a fifteen minute bike ride from the beach, so that was very nice. But I was used to that from Santa Barbara, I guess. <laughs> I, I would think so. <laughs> um, not even a fifteen minute ride to no, the beach. I, know. I don't know. It was just some Mediterranean life, and like, yeah. just life is different. The mm. food is different. It all tastes different, and mm-hmm. people are different. So it was just, just yeah. Are you still fluent in Hebrew? No, uh, I mean, I don't know. I haven't mm-hmm. put it to the test. I doubt it, though, because I haven't kept it up. Mm-hmm. So you came here, obviously things changed, and you made the decision to pursue your acting career. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which is exciting, but scary and, and uncertain. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's going good. I've been very fortunate. And I've had great opportunities. Um, I mean, it's hard to say just because being an actor is like running a marathon, which is a very common metaphor a lot of people have used, but it's so true. It's just you have to start the marathon. So imagine asking a marathon runner at mile 10, how's it going? You know, you're still going. Mm-hmm. You know, your legs are moving. Yeah. You're getting there, but still 16 miles from the finish line, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That's, that's, I think, the feeling right now. It's like, I've, I'm at mile 10. It feels like, like, all right, I'm going, but, but you know, still got a long ways to go. And You've worked on a couple of projects this year that, that is very exciting to, to me as your mom. Yes. You want to share anything about the, I know that you've got two movies, as they say, in the can. <laughs> yes. One of which you're a co-producer on, or you, are, you have producing mm-hmm. credit. Yeah. You want to say anything about, talk about it? Well, all? Highway to Havasu, mm-hmm. I mean... My listeners should know about that by now. I hope so. And you should know My about it My listeners should know about it by now. So I don't know what else there is to tell. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's a great spring break road trip adventure. Epic. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks great. We're, in terms of, like, editing and all that, in terms of how it's built, I think we're definitely, like, on the green, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. we're really, it's, like, really close to being as amazing as it can be, you know? 
Now you take, whenever you do anything, you, you give it 200%. Um, how has it been? You were acting in the movie, but you also have kind of helped the two producers in the producing. Um, yeah. Line. How's that? How has that been for you? What, is, how has that experience been? That's kind of helping as be, being it, a producer. Yeah. I mean, I've, I realized that, I mean, producer is such a loose term. Mm-hmm. For instance, Amber as producer has done everything on our film. Amber Janky. Amber Janky, yes. Um, she, I mean, she literally, she like, I helped her cook meals. She did wardrobe some mm-hmm. days. She did makeup some days. Like, she literally did everything. absolutely everything. And thank you, Amber on behalf of the cast and crew, I mean, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Like, you put so much into this movie um, and have done so much. And so I kind of followed her lead, so to speak. Like, if there was any gaps that needed to be filled, I would fill it. For instance, I would help her cook dinner sometimes or I would go grab stuff when she couldn't um, or when a PA couldn't. Like, it was, it was you know, it's an independent movie people can only help to a certain degree or people have their work schedules. Like if ever there was gaps that need to be filled, I would just do it. And like, um, another way that I helped was like, you know, using my connections to find our editor, like, um, reached out through an editor that I know. And he put me in touch with a, someone looking to build their credit. And we got mm-hmm. our editor drew Kilcoin from that. Mm-hmm. So like just lots of different and, things. And, to answer your question, I loved it because I love being that kind of person that literally can mm-hmm. can either do everything or if there's something that I can't do, learning quickly how to do it and then helping as best I can mm-hmm. or putting us in touch with someone who can help with that. I like that. Okay. Now, you have another movie that you worked on. Can you talk about that? or is Yeah, it, I mean, you know... it's public. Oh, it is public? Yeah. Okay. Um, the first look was published on Variety. So... The Sweet Life, starring Chris Messina and Abigail Spencer. Uh, it's a, from the company Mockingbird Pictures, produced by Julie Lynn and Bonnie Curtis. Um, I mean, it's a, a dark comedy-dramedy, romantic-dramedy. It's like a very interesting... Reading the script, it's a very interesting tone, so it's mm-hmm. really hard to kind of place it in a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's great because they know what they're doing. You know, Julie and Bonnie know exactly what they're doing. Yes, they did the uh, the independent film Five to Seven. And five to Seven, which Vic, is Vic, Victor like, Levin. Eleven, yes. Um, so yeah, they did Five to Seven, Albert Knobs, uh, Last Days in the Desert, which is coming out. They just announced Broad Green Pictures, um, mm. and will be released, um, I think, towards the end of the year. But the the Sweet Life is about two. Uh, down and out people who decide they want to commit suicide and they decide to road trip from Chicago to San Francisco to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge together. And various, they meet various characters along the way. Also them being the two characters, two characters that are willing to commit suicide, they obviously have issues. So them being in a car together. Yeah. Will bring about. Yes. <laughs> mega issues. I would, yes, I would um, guess so. And, so there's various follies throughout the film with that and, mm-hmm. and kind of their journey together. And, um, I mean, yeah, watch out for that. I play one of the guys in the RV. 
third guy is my what official it, part. What is it? But what is it with you and RVs? Because you do an RV and highway and have it too. When I booked this part, I was literally in an RV <laughs> <laughs> driving to Oregon <laughs> when I found out that I got this. So, yeah, something about RVs. So what else do you have coming up? What are you working on now? Um, right now I'm in rehearsal for a play. Uh, it's like a m- play with music. I wouldn't necessarily call it a musical. But it's a, a, called Drempel's, The Short But Happy Life of the Drempel Hieronymus Aloysius Plunk. And I play... That's a mouthful. Yes. And I play Hieronymus, the mm-hmm. title character. And it's about these little creatures called Drempel's who live inside of the cracks on the sidewalk. And um, because we live in the cracks on the sidewalk, we're essentially responsible for keeping life on Earth mm-hmm. um, alive um, by you know, managing the cracks so that water can get to trees and foliage and stuff. And Okay. And so, like, essentially it's a gigantic metaphor for, you know, environmentalism and mm-hmm. dealing with, with government and the kind of lack of... Lack of... Uh... The lack of effort being placed yeah. into doing something about the issues that we are... That are important. That the... Right. Collective conscious are aware of, I'd say. And uh, where and when does this, if somebody it wants opens, to put this on the calendar? So previews are October 3rd and 4th um, in, at the Santa Monica Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And it runs Saturdays at 8, Sundays at 3.30, um, all the way through November 29th. Wow. Mm-hmm. Big, Santa big, Monica Playhouse. Exciting. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Terrific. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> How many productions are you going to come see? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I, a lot. <laughs> I, I am going to actually go buy tickets. So, um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you for uh, giving me this time to talk and to ask you questions. You got it, mom. Um, Happy birthday. Thank you. I love, love you. you. <laughs> we said it at the same time. You want me to call? <laughs> Um, all right, so are you going to sign us off? I guess I am. What do I say? Are you kidding? I know. It's... All the episodes, you sidekick back radio and then you throw in I know, right, I know. Okay, thank you for listening to Sidekick Back Radio. Ka-cha!